Alicia, so why ethnic studies and why now? All right. Awesome. I, why now? I, I don't think the effort to, to develop and strengthen ethnic studies programs, K through 12 or higher education levels is something that is happening just now that, you know, the effort, the work that's, go, that's going on right now at the state level, local levels is now, right? I think the push for it now more than ever, or, or not now more than ever, but now with the, the, the momentum, right, that, that we have at the moment is, uh, as we all know, in large part to the, what happened, what has happened, you know, since 2020 and even before that, right? The, the race, racial violence, right? Racism, white supremacy, it isn't anything new, but experiencing that during a pandemic at, at the, I think brought another layer of, of just pain, you know, um, of desperation that really called for, I'm not gonna say like a, 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 a an uprise, right? An uprise. And, you know, the, the state responded, you know, um, the, the, our California community colleges uh, stepped up to the occasion. So did Miracosta. And we, we had this discussion about how, what, what do we need to do to change things? What, what, what can we do, right, at, at the higher education level and just in our education system throughout the state? And one of the, the answers is ethnic studies. And, and again, we've known this through research and you know historical experience of ethnic studies in our school systems and how the, that positively impacts students' social and academic well-being and success within our education systems. That that was an e uh, sort of an easy answer or one uh, one answer right to our struggle right now as a nation. So why ethnic studies? I think ethnic studies has a history of resistance, right? A history of resistance ag against white supremacy, institutional racism, systemic structural racism. It's decolonial by nature. It's, it's restorative, it's healing to communities of color, to students of color. And, and, and all the pain that we've experienced, not just in these past two, three years, right? But just historically again, right? This is a historical, There's, there is healing that needs to be done. Right, and not just within communities of color, BIPOC communities, but also as a nation, right? As a country, there there needs to be some learning to do and some healing to do and restoring, right? And so that's why ethnic studies and ethnic studies again, the effort has been there and the struggle has been there for many, many, many years. Um, it's not just now. I think that. This is uh, an ideal moment to take the opportunity and, and, and implement this at our college. Um, if we don't do it now, I don't, I don't know when, right? So th there's just like, we can't afford to not have ethnic studies at Miracosta or any college, right? It doesn't make sense, especially when the majority of our students are um, Latinx, Chicanx students and in our state, right, and even nationwide, the minority, quote unquote, student population and just population in general is growing, growing uh, more and more. And so there is a need for 
these communities, our communities to learn about their history and learn about the, who they are. Because again, it's educate, true education is, is knowledge of self, right? That's empowerment. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you for that context, uh, both on the ethnic study side and you know, locally with the community colleges. And Maria, I think you are the longest tenured person here um, at Miracosa of the folks that are here. And I, I know that, like Alicia said, this is, this is something that just didn't start this past year, but, you know, there have been efforts to like, you know, have classes flavored with a certain, you know, multicultural um, aspect or a certain um, race or ethnicity emphasized and, and brought to the forefront of the curriculum. But why is this different now? And why is it important that ethnic studies is established as its own program and not just another flavor for one off, like a one off class situation? So thanks, Sean, for reminding me of my growing veteran status here, <laughs> senior. I said it as delicately <laughs> as possible. I didn't no, say the no, word no. senior. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I totally accept that and wear it with a lot of uh, pride as well as responsibility. So I, I really do appreciate that. You know, to your question about that this isn't a new conversation, you know, Alicia has contextualized it well, that this isn't a new conversation. This is a historical, it's 50 years, you know, old. And we can go further, you know, back than that. But when I arrived at Miracosta, which is which was fall of 2008, um, this conversation was already happening. Um, and I think that some of our colleagues who are like have been Miracosta homegrown have have started to think about that. It, and also in support of um, with the support of students. And so in the early stages of DEC, actually, the Diversity, Equity, and, and Cultural Competence Committee became, before it became fully institutionalized and under um, our shared governance process and more specifically under um, Academic Senate, there was like a task force of faculty and students and some staff that got together to talk about issues of diversity. And so I remember attending a meeting where uh, machistas were there and one of my former students, um, Iris Mendoza, who was uh, a local mujer from uh, Escondido, uh, she was very active in, in Mecha and she understood like the need to, to have you know, ethnic studies. And she was a sociology major. She's now a, a teacher uh, at, in, um, with the masters in, in the LA school district, uh, teaching ethnic studies actually. So shout out to, to Iris. But she, along with other students, organized just themselves and were asking, you know, where is ethnic studies? Well, it didn't go very far after that. You know, I think the students felt very empowered. And this is very much part of like the legacy of ethnic studies that it was student generated. It's never been institutional, institution generated. It's never. It's always been about, you know, like civil rights, like students, the community from the ground up. And so the students were, were enacting that back in 2008, but unfortunately it didn't go anywhere, not because of them, because you know, they move on, but I think because the institution just like didn't hear them. And I was fairly new, so I can't say, you know, that, that uh, I felt empowered, you know, enough as a faculty member to, to, to continue the movement along with other faculty members as well. 
Well, then we passed a, at Miracosta, we passed a, um, a, a, a multicultural or diversity requirement for students in the AA degree. We still have that. And that was very controversial. That was very controversial. So as a more seasoned Miracosta faculty that now has a little bit of institutional memory, I'm kind of taking you along the, the steps here. Uh, that was a controversial move because we were using, you know, terminology that rubs some disciplines a wrong way, you know, and, and maybe they felt like we were, we were treading sort of, you know, people get a little territorial about their disciplines as they should. Right. And we, we're going to, I'm sure talk about that in terms of the autonomy uh, of ethnic studies umbrella, and then it's, uh, it's other disciplines. So we have that requirement, but that is not ethnic studies. And Sean, you talk about like a flavor, you know, a flavor of um, emphasis or cultural perspectives we have like in letters, for example, we have a, a Chicano um, introduction to Chicano and Chicano literature class. We have an introduction to African-American literature class that Jabi just resurrected after it being dormant for like 15 years. And uh, we also have an introduction to Asian-American literature. Those are not flavor courses for our department per se, but they're specifically literature courses, right? And so that could potentially fulfill the that requirement for like the diversity requirement, but they're not ethnic studies because ethnic studies itself has the epistemology and we understand that. So again, coming back to why the momentum now, like fast forward 14 years, I think that's how long it is now, 13 to 14 years, you know, we we got a the fire was lit under us because it was legislated. And 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 this is it was legislated. It's a law, right? It's a law that the CSUs will require students to um, complete their their graduation, you know, complete their degree, having taken an ethnic studies uh, course. And you know, legislated curriculum is very controversial and political in the structure of faculty purview and domain. Faculty oversee, that is our purview uh, curriculum because we're the content experts. So we don't want to be told like what to teach, how to teach. This is also like in response to AB 705, right? With the math and the English requirement, it moved us towards more equitable ways of assessing or not assessing our students into transfer level. Uh, but that was met with some resistance as well. And I would say it's still kind of met with resistance, as is, I think, you know, initially the proposal of 1460 with uh, Assembly woman at the time, Weber, right? And so here we are, and, and we need to get it done. But I don't want to discredit that it was only because it was legislated that we're now doing it. But I think that that is the carry through of the 50 years that go, you know, of the student movement that continues to live as a spirit, as like a light, as a fire, as, as a, you know, the Mexicas have this terminology of olin, of a movimiento. And I think that that's the olin and the movement that continues through the generations and through the new, the new cycles of, of learning, right? Um, and I just wanna say, and my, my comment that I think Dr. Weber, did it right because she understood she understood like she was an africana studies she is an africana studies you know discipline expert she was chair of her department she understood um institutions and structures and systems i mean you know teaching at sdsu for all those years she understands politics she understands how to move through these systems right and so the only way i think 
to finally put it on people's radar was, well, we're going to move it through as, as this as this piece of legislation. So, um, so she exercised all of the capital that had been with her, both I think as um, as a you know as an educator and as a as a politician and and lawmaker now. That is, there's so many threads I want to pull on there, Maria, um, <laughs> and we'll get we'll get to a lot of these. But I'm I'm thinking just for my own sake and and wanting to kind of help contrast ethnic studies from these more themed courses or lit courses. Can I ask for a, a how are we defining ethnic studies or what is characteristic characterizing of an ethnic studies program or or department? What 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 are what is the work that's being done and, and what is it working towards to establish that? And kind of even like where what you're working on that that is contributing to those characterizing features. This is a big deal right now where we're really having to educate colleagues, students, and the broader community as to what exactly ethnic studies is. And we're having to differentiate it from other fields like multicultural education, multicultural studies, and even things like uh, important things like, and multicultural education is an important movement in and of itself. You know, Professor Banks, uh, a scholar in this realm, uh, has done a tremendous amount of work and in, in its emergence in K through 12 education throughout the 80s and 90s. Certainly, it has its own history and it evolved from the lineage of ethnic studies. So we understand these histories as intertwined um, and interconnected, but they are not the same. And so when we um, are talking about ethnic studies currently, we're having to um, do a lot of work in making sure that everyone understands that it's not multicultural education. It's not diversity studies. It in fact is a critical interdisciplinary field focusing on the historic groups from the movement itself that were were subject of um, these organizing activities such as the Third World Liberation Front and the strikes that occurred in San Francisco State um, in the late 60s as well as Berkeley campus. Um, during this time. And so it's specifically oriented around four core groups of being uh, African-American or Black studies, Native American Indigenous studies, Chicanx, Latinx studies, and then um, Asian American Pacific Islander studies as well. So those four core groups are the primary focus of, of ethnic studies. However, it's important to to understand that it doesn't exclude um, explorations of the socio-political construct of whiteness and Anglo-European groups in the broader historical context and contemporary realities of the United States to look at race through an intersectional lens, transnational lenses, and also talk about and explore how all groups have been racialized in a system organized around white supremacy uh, throughout the Americas. Um, but typically the United States is the focus. And so, and, and this also gets us to think about, you know, how does race operate for other groups, you know, uh, BIPOC communities, you know, other communities of color, uh, when we think about, you know, Arab Americans, for instance. And, and other groups who are subject to the, the processes of racial processes of racialization in, in a, a white supremacist social order. And, you know, the stories and the structural conditions and the life chances and 
and other other things, you know, uh, violence and so forth. And also, you know, freedom dreams, you know, talking about things like joy and healing and transformation, like uh, Alicia mentioned. But also, it's not just about history, right? So that, that interdisciplinarity is key in that within a given ethnic studies course, for instance, I, um, I, I teach uh, Chicanx history, right? From, a, from a, a Chicano studies perspective. And so what does that mean? What, well, we're definitely engaging in the, in the craft of uh, historical thinking and historical methodology, right? But that's not it. That's not just it, right? We're, I'm also bringing in, um, you know, critical and cultural geo geography, um, sociological perspectives, the arts, right? Humanities approaches to understanding history in, in complex and robust ways, drawing from uh, multiple fields, and then also from the epistemological standpoint of uh, Chicanismo, right? And, and, and then also Latinidad, uh, something to, to consider within that paradigm. So, you know, this is part of the work. It's not just, oh, okay, um, you know, a hodgepodge collection of sociology of, of Latinos and then the history of Latinos as separate singular disciplinary approaches under the umbrella of ethnic studies. Um, in fact, no, it, it's, it's really the utilization and synthesis of multiple disciplinary approaches within a given course, right? So that it's a robust set of lenses, methodologies, and theoretical perspectives to help us do the work of critically interrogating. And this gets us to talk about the criticality of ethnic studies. It's not ethnic studies if it's not critical, meaning taking up power relations, inequality, struggles for freedom and liberation, right? Um, and, and critiquing and interrogating that, um, and also envisioning, you know, other alternative futures and transformative praxis, you know, basically applying how do, what do, how do we change things, right? And so it's not a neutral field. It's in fact um, all about educational justice, social justice, racial justice um, in large part, and how to actually generate knowledge to do the work of transforming society in positive ways so that we can hold the United States accountable to its promises. You know, all the things that we say, the land of the free uh, nation of immigrants, all these, uh, the mythos of the U.S., right? Hold it accountable and people, you know, hold up the Constitution. You know, well, there's certain things that, that aren't uh, realities for, for historically minoritized groups, racially minoritized groups. And so, you know, to hold our country accountable, to hold society accountable, and to change it for the better collectively through interracial coalitions, right, and intersectional coalitions as well. And so we're doing that work to differentiate it, to define it in a very clear, specific way, community engagement, critical lenses, interdisciplinary approaches, right? As well as culturally relevant um, and responsive uh, pedagogy. That's part of it too. Absolutely, for sure. And diversity, equity, inclusion. Absolutely. That's, that's part of it too, but we're pushing it even further. So it's, it's all that and then some. But yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about it, and, that, and we're working to, to make sure that people understand, and we operate from official definitions from bodies like the California Community College Ethnic Studies Faculty Council, 
and other um, organizations of scholars in the field doing the work to define it and not folks from outside the field defining it um, and putting forth these um, really not true definitions or approaches and co-opting it and unfortunately undermining it when that happens. Actually, I have a follow-up question for you. Um, so what is the difference between drawing from different disciplines and teachings from those disciplines when thinking about the autonomy of ethnic studies? Yeah, just just real quick, I I, I mean, I think that uh, Stephen's discussion on what, what do we mean by um, interdisciplinary, right? When we say ethnic studies, Chicano studies is interdisciplinary. You know, what came to my mind right now is um, how in ethnic studies, we not only give importance to the academic development and growth of students, right? But also the healing part, right? Also the restorative part. So we recognize, like I think part of, um, of ethnic studies pedagogical approach to teaching and learning is treating and viewing and acknowledging students as humans, not students, right? And also affirming and understanding their experiences K through 12 and just historically and, and the experience of the, of the community, right? And then therefore, because of this history of oppression, exclusion, uh, racism that impacts not only our academic success or, or, or educational experience, which oftentimes is traumatic, and there is a need to heal from that, right? We, our approach is very holistic, right? Holistic in that it's not just about learning how to improve our writing and writing research papers and whatnot, but it's also, and that is very important. And, and you know, ethnic studies very much like ex has high expectations from students, right? There are high expectations, but also high support and a lot of support. But it, it's it's that and also, you know, what is known as cariño, right? Love for students and, and building relationship with students as, and you can only build relationships with other human beings, right? And so like humanizing students, right? And, and that is also part of the healing process, mentorship, right? But so what I'm going with is in terms of how does this relate to uh, interdisciplinary aspect of ethnic studies. I, I see this as, you know, this idea of compartmentalizing education to different disciplines, right? History, anthropology, psychology, sociology, all this stuff. That's not the reality of our experiences in life, right? We do that because the education system is a, it's bureaucratic, right? And, and so, but the way that we experience life includes psychology, includes sociology, includes history, includes political science. That is our experience. It is political. It is emotional, mental, psychological. It is historical. It is all of that. And so for me, when we talk about ethnic studies being interdisciplinary, I think about how it's holistic in its approach to teaching and learning, but also, and, and so part of that holistic approach to teaching is teaching in a way that we discuss all of it. You know, even when you teach a, a, a history course, right, which I've also taught, you know, history from a Chicano perspective, we talk about politics, we talk about literature, we talk about 
anthropology, sociocultural anthropology, subjects within sociocultural anthropology, right? And so all of that has to do with, with that class. To me, that's, that's what we mean by interdisciplinary. It doesn't mean that an anthropologist can come and teach ethnic studies because ethnic studies is a discipline. discipline. There are, you know, people earn degrees and study how, study ethnic studies and need to have that knowledge base to be able to teach ethnic studies, right? So that's kind of what I wanted to add to that. And Mana, I don't know if I, so the difference is that we're not adding sociology, the sociological lens as, as an add-on, but it's incorporated within ethnic studies, the discipline, right? It's not adding it or attaching it, it's within. But, it, but the people teaching these courses are people that are experts in ethnic studies that have studied the ethnic studies and are applying theories, uh, pedagogical approaches, epistemology, et cetera, uh, rooted in ethnic studies, the discipline. Tyrone? Yeah. Mana, I think you, you raise a great question. And I, I think I want to try to answer it from the perspective of me having been an ethnic studies major and what that was like. And so as a learner, as a student, what was different about uh, taking my core ethnic studies courses was that it started with a course on settlement and immigration. So how did the, the, the land we call the United States today become populated? So of course, we would start with looking at, at native and indigenous knowledge. What are their own creation stories? So that's one perspective. Uh, what do their own histories say? about about that process that's an important perspective uh, then maybe what do what do anthropologists and archaeologists have to say about these these settlements of this land what then do european historians have to say about uh, settlement and immigration once there was european contact in this area and so it expands from there so maybe um, you see anthropology archaeology and history indigenous studies, uh, oral history combining here in, in the beginning. Um, the next class in the sequence was one on um, assimilation and integration. And so now we're looking at, well, uh, we, we we've, uh, have this settlement of, of the US. We have these different ethnic and racial groups here interacting with one another. Now we're looking at a lot of uh, legal scholarship. How is race defined? Um, what are the laws of segregation, uh, of, of how racial identities are counted in the census, and so forth, as well as, as history. And of course, then by history, we're, we're thinking history from the different perspectives of each racial and ethnic group in the United States as, as part of this interaction. And then we're also thinking about the sociology, and we're thinking about the demography. Um, so now we're thinking of statistics, we're thinking of both qualitative um, data where people may have been interviewed about their experiences within uh, this racialized system. Um, we're looking at the quantitative data as well. Um, and then the next class in the sequence was about the intersectionality of, of race, gender, and social class. And so now we're also looking again at sociology, at demography, um, but then we're also looking at current policy by that point. What are the, the current laws? What laws are being pushed against or, or changed? Or what, what are regressive laws um, that are trying to roll back gains 
um, made by ethnic minorities, for example, in the realm of civil rights. Um, and so there's kind of like this rotation of different disciplines that are being drawn on throughout like that base sequence. And I think what's really important about it is it, it gives each student who's in that sequence, who's an ethnic studies major, the foundation of knowledge and facts to be able to continue the thinking and the research required to pursue what is the truth when it comes to race and ethnicity and racism in the United States. Thank you, Tyrone. I want to revisit this idea of resistance that we heard about earlier. And as ethnic studies being a form of resistance in itself within the academy, there's also a lot of resistance to ethnic studies. And so, Jabi, I, I pose this to you as somebody, you know, who's been on both coasts, somebody who has also taught K through 12 and um, at the college level, you know, what, what does that resistance look like? Um, how is it expressed? And then also, what's the importance of an ethnic studies education early in, in um, an academic career, even before coming to college? You know, I have a lot of students that say they wish sociology was taught in high school or before. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the same can be said about ethnic studies. And it's something that that worries some folks. Right. And, and so do you can, can you speak to that a little bit? I think I can. You know, resistance. <laughs> what does it look like? You know, first and foremost, I think it's it's pushing back on the concept of ethnic studies and saying that it's taking away a student's uh, right to learn what they want to learn. Right. I'm just thinking about the student I had in the class the other day and I, I do a research paper and my research paper is one of the choices students have is about um, equity in education. I teach March book two um, by John Lewis. So, you know, I'm all about stirring up good trouble, but my student's reading this graphic novel and he also happens to participate in the community. And he went to the, the local board to do some sort of presentation for an organization he's a part of. But while he was there, he saw a lot of resistance toward K through 12 students learning about ethnic studies because now this is the mandate. And, you know, he came to my class and he's like, you know, Professor, I want to write this paper, but, you know, can I focus on critical race theory? And I was like, wait, what now? You're in a pre-transfer English class and you want to focus on critical race theory? And he's like, yeah, like, I, I don't know what that is, but like people at the, at the board seem pretty riled up that their kids were going to learn about it. And I just want to know, like, why are they so against this idea? Because, you know, you know, I'm, I'm an, an ethnic minority and I want to see what this is all about. I didn't learn about this in high school. You know, should my, should my brother be learning about this? Should my friends be learning about this? And so, you know, th this is a podcast, so you all can't see the excitement from educators. But when someone brings up critical race theory, something I didn't hear about until, like, I was getting my master's degree, you know, that's, that's a celebration for the, the, the concept of um, learning about yourself in order to resist what the, the general norm is. And then for a moment, I'll, I'll speak about where, where I come from into this. So like, I feel pretty honored and empowered to be a part of the ethnic studies work group. And sometimes like in my life, if you know me really well, I think things happen for a reason, right? And so at the height of the pandemic, when people were going crazy and they're jumping in lines at grocery stores and they're going out to buy up their stuff, I, I'm 
you know, I'm trying to be casual myself. It's just me and my wife out on the West Coast. And I wake up early to go to the grocery store. I do that whether it's pandemic or not. And I'm there one day and I run into Alicia and we just start getting into this really cool conversation. She's talking about how, you know, the, you know, there's legislation coming around about ethnic studies and that she's really excited about it. And she's just adjusting to be in the pandemic. But this is just a casual conversation to educators at a grocery store. We've never run into each other at that grocery store ever before. I didn't even know she lived in the area and neither did she for me. And, you know, we just kind of went our separate ways. Almost a week later to the day, I run into my department chair, Maria, in the same space doing the same thing. And we're having conversations about education, the legislation. And Maria um, brings up the idea of teaching, you know, African-American lit, you know, not only because I studied it in college, but I have a real high interest in literature. I try to use um, books that are cultural, right? They're, they bring cultural authors to the forefront. And it's, it's a part of my mission, right? And so these two separate conversations happen. And then almost a week later, uh, I get invited to the ethnic studies work group. But I'm like, yeah, I'm all in, right? And so listening to Maria earlier, she named that, she started at Miracosta in 2008 and did not feel empowered. And I'm thinking, in 2008, I was about to graduate college for my bachelor's degree. And while I felt empowered to have that degree to be a first-generation college student, when I finally got my master's degree and started teaching at the K through 12 area, I didn't feel that empowered by those who intended to leave because often when it came to students who looked like me or sounded like me or the students that I taught, the students I advocate for, those in power didn't seem pretty interested in that. It's all about the testing scores and you know we've got to bring their reading scores up, we've got to bring their writing scores up, but not hearing how if we engage with our students from from where they come from, how they might do better in those areas, right? And so I felt empowered in that moment to join the work group, not because like I'm an ethnic studies major like Tyrone, I'm not. I'm not an ethnic studies um, major. I, I don't think I'll teach ethnic studies, right? But I can advocate for it because my students are advocating for that. And I, if I could get a dime for every time I heard a student say, how come we don't learn that? in high school or how come they never teach us about that, right? Like how come, you know, we learn about Dr. King for one month, but we don't hear anything else. How come we don't learn about the roles that Native Americans, African Americans, Asian Americans, you know, uh, the Latino Americans, how come we don't hear about the roles they have played in the history of a country that is made up of all of us, right? And that's huge. That's, that's really huge to think about. So, you know, I want to bring it back to your question, Sean. Like, for those who resist, you know, I, I think it begin, their resistance begins with not knowing the history, right? Like, and that's, that's ignorance. You know, we know most of what deals with racism comes from not knowing, being ignorant about things, right? And so if they were willing to open up the book or sit in an ethnic studies course, perhaps they wouldn't be so resistant because one of the first things that stands out to me about ethnic studies is that, you know, it's both students of color and white students benefit from this, both. It's not exclusive, right? Where I've spent my entire life as a student, I'm a student, a scholar, a researcher. I have a lot of like labels. I'm an African-American, you know, I can name that African-American males only make up 2% of the education population. So me, being in this thing is like an anomaly already. 
And how much is, of that is from never seeing people who look like me in this position, right? Like, I don't get to learn about the Benjamin Bannikers of the world or, you know, the W.B. Du Bois of the world. These, these men, these great males of color who, you know, not only shape society, but shape the students they taught to turn them into leaders for generations, right? And so, you know, it's just, I don't know, I, I, I'm all in. I'm all in for good trouble. I'm all in for, for creating space for my students to not repeat the same history that I had to go through to get to where I'm at today. You know, that's, that's so important that I would want a student coming into my class, not questioning what critical race theory is, but saying, oh yeah, I learned about critical race theory in the 10th grade and I'm all ready to write this paper because I got a lot to say about the equity that exists in education. And that's, that's my dream right there. The day that happens, maybe I can like, I don't know, get around to writing that screenplay I'm gonna work on. So that student that shows up is a student that has the epistemologies, is comfortable with the methodologies, right? So is, is anticipating where you're gonna lead them in a paper or in a project, but is also bringing that, that critical mindedness, is ready as you, as you presented there, Javi, kind of the show me a system and I'll show you the inequities, is like ready to do the interrogating work and that kind of stuff. And it's really interesting that that's, that's the picture of empowerment that I hear you paint, Jabi. And Steve, earlier I heard you use the phrase freedom dreams, which freedom dreams is not, that's not a phrase on my fingertips. I'm, it sparks my imagination in lots of amazing ways, but I'm not totally sure what's meant by freedom dreams in this, in this discussion. Um, I wonder if we could just open it up. I, I like this. What, what will an ethnic studies department do for students to empower them? What will it also do for us as faculty who teach at community college to empower us, right? Even if we're not in that department and not part of this planning committee, like, you know, you know what I mean? So can we just open it up and explore those two ways? How will an ethnic studies department empower students and faculty? What are we thinking about that? Oh man, the thought, <laughs> you know, I, I think it, it would radically change our culture at Miracosta, our teaching and learning and relational culture at Miracosta, relational mentorship, relational, how we collaborate with between departments and, and different segments in the, in the college to get things done. It would improve the outcome of all of our projects because of the different lenses that would be applied, a, a lens that, you know, a perspective that um, is is knowledgeable about the about the experience of students of color, BIPOC students, and also like the history and the need uh, that that we have. I think that it would create it would create a, a campus that's more wise in being able to close uh, equity gaps. Um, I think that a department, an ethnic studies department, would also help close equity gaps within um, the BIPOC and a student population at our campus too. I think it would add color because I'm pretty sure murals would, would pop up. It would, it would uh, contribute innovative ways of teaching and learning to the campus at large. It would um, create ethnic studies majors to, for transfer students to, that would come back to teach ethnic studies at our campus. Uh, those are just some ways I, I feel that it would empower our school. 
I mean, I get excited. Listen, I, I, you know, my AA is in ethnic studies. Um, I was a high school dropout, you know, or push out as we as we talk about it in, in ethnic studies. And so, you know, for me, ethnic studies gave me that just blew my mind. Right. And that aha moment. And it was so critical and crucial for me and like giving me hope and forging my identity, not only as just like someone in the world, in society, like what's my role in society? What am I about? But also like that self-knowledge that I had always been craving and I didn't get in K through 12. I didn't, you know, I'm a third generation Chicano. I didn't, I didn't learn a dang thing about, you know, my own culture. And so like, for me, it was such, so impactful where I began to develop my identity, not only as someone committed to racial and social justice in, in society, but also, you know, some, uh, a future educator and, a, and an emerging scholar, right? It gave, it, it cultivated my curiosity to explore the questions that I, that I had, you know, why is it the case that there's these disparities? Why didn't I learn about my own uh, history in school? You know, why did I feel alienated, you know? And, and, you know, how to make sense of my own life in, in nuanced ways using the, the tools of the field, right? And so, you know, I get excited because I remember those moments when I started to make all the connections and it all started to make sense. And, you know, I, and I'd be careful, you know, I'm careful not to romanticize ethnic studies. It's not this end-all, be-all, magical cure for everything. It's, it's among a constellation of important critical tools in society, right? that should all be interlinked, right? And so if we're talking about creating, uh, developing like a, a multi-scalar cultural ecology organized around racial and social justice in society and, and, and envisioning an organizational identity for Miracosta as a important community site for doing the work of building racial justice and social justice into the landscape, into the cultural landscape of not only North uh, San Diego County, but also beyond, right? Then, you know, it's our responsibility. And we owe that. There's an educational debt, as Gloria Latson Billings talks about, that we owe historically minoritized students, BIPOC students. And ethnic studies is our opportunity to repay that debt of, you know, over a century of monocultural curriculum, of dehumanizing processes of schooling, all right, and, and banking approaches to education, as Paulo Freire, uh, you know, encourages us to, to critique and, and disrupt. And so, you know, it's, it's an important opportunity for us to do this work and to, you know, also provide students opportunities to go out into the community and apply what they learn in the classroom and build relationships between classroom campus centers, and the community. And that's what I'm talking about. We're cultivating a robust, transformational ecology uh, in, in this work that we're doing. And we're all in this together. And students as critical agents able to do this work, right? Empowered with not only the, the academic skills and the research skills and the theoretical frameworks, but with you know, that coalitional capital through the relationships that they build through our ethnic studies program and department, right? And how to, you know, cultivate uh, humanizing relationships and, and critical self-reflection, right? How to, how to integrate that in your everyday practice and consciousness. 
right? How to make those connections between your own biography, history, and uh, social structure, right? How to do all that as a normal thing, right? Because that's not promoted or cultivated necessarily in K through 12. So it's such an important opportunity and I get super excited. It's gonna benefit students, not only academically, but in terms of the relational capital, their leadership skills. You know, I, I train students to engage in critical public humanities projects where they're able to disrupt white supremacy in the cultural landscape in their communities. And then also think about like, how do we highlight hidden histories and amplify the cultural assets that are already here in the landscape, right? Talking about places like the East Side and Oceanside, right? The Americanization School, what was up with that, right? All these legacies that are already here, but they're hidden and build that collective memory and consciousness around that so that we can, as a community, you know, faculty, professional staff, students, and beyond work together to engage in this work. I'm gonna bridge off with Stephen and, you know, that, that idea of community, right? You know, so much of what ethnic studies is built off of is this concept of, of, of community, like the ability for each one to teach one, right? And, you know, that's what I, I would like to see, you know, that the idea that, you know, our students, they want this, they're asking for, you know, more often than not, the people who are rallying against ethnic studies are not students themselves. They're not in the classroom. They're not the ones asking questions. They're not taking courses. You know, this is this was a student-driven movement, right? And just like the civil rights movement, like Maria said earlier, and you know, the opportunity to to see that take place at a place that I, I am currently employed is incredible. Because I don't think that it would have taken place at my institution had the students driven it there when I was in college, right? Like that, it's not something my college would have been like, ah, you know, well. This is not a Hispanic serving institute. Let's move on, right? Like, um, or you couldn't get enough people to back you in that thinking. Um, I think an ethnic studies department at Miracosta gives an opportunity for our students' voices to be honored. Um, I'm a, I'm a student-centered advocate and educator, and I think students are constantly asking that question about how they can learn more about themselves, learn more about the history of the atrocities that have taken place in the United States. You know, after the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, students felt confused because they didn't know where all the animosity or all the hurt was coming from because what they're taught K through 12 or per, per, perhaps in their own homes was either not correct or just, um, you know, uh, cut in half, right? To tell one side of the story. But to know your true history, you know, throughout this country is to know, you know, so much more than just the history of it, right? But the, the systems that exist, to recognize how when systems are placed against you, it's harder to achieve success, right? And so what I would love to see on our campus is, is more of those conversations taking place so that, you know, we can truly be on the forefront of the work. And we'd finally be in a space where we're not just talking about doing a thing, but we're doing that thing and trying to figure out what it looks like next because nobody else has ever done it before, right? 
And that's a, a great space to put students in, to be pioneers of what the future looks like for other generations of students, right? That, that's why I'm all in on it. And I think that I would love to see our students continue to carry that forward. Like I said before, a day when I can just step away and say, you know, they got this. I, I can go focus on the next set of issues that haven't changed in the United States since I was born, you know? So I have a question for all of you. So how would a student like me um, see themselves in an ethnic studies class? when the focus is typically on um, ethnicities other than myself. Like for instance, I'm Iranian and there are like a lot of Iranians in Southern California and just not just Iranians, there are like a lot of other ethnicities in the United States. And I know a lot, I think we hear that by, I think 2043, America is gonna be a majority minority country. So we're all gonna be minorities. So um, does that mean that as we progress, like this program is gonna add other ethnic studies so that, you know, students like me who are not from one of those four um, ethnicities can also see themselves and can also learn about their history and where they fit in America? I think that when we think of ethnic studies, not as the, the specific study of different racial or ethnic groups, but as an as a academic, academic discipline focused on, on core concepts. So I, the example I gave earlier was a, a course on, for example, settlement and immigration. Well, then the perspective of any, any person, family, or community that has an immigration story, no matter where they come from in the world, would be part of that curriculum or part of that class or something worth reading about or writing about or studying we're discussing. Um, so ethnic studies provides, I think, really broad space for students to, to finally get the opportunity to learn where their story is at the focal point of the curriculum, rather than being on the outskirts or being completely excluded. And for myself as a student, that was revolutionary. Um, I had never taken a class before where the stories of, of my own family and community were at the forefront of the scholarship, or at least I had the invitation to participate in the discussion um, where my story was just as valid as anything else that was being offered in the textbook or in the professor's lecture. Because of that experience, it was the first time in my life where I felt fully engaged in school. I had always gone to school, but kind of gone through the motions of school. Um, without really having the emotional investment in what I was learning until I found ethnic studies and became an ethnic studies major. And Stephen, you want to you want to add to that? Okay, so you know this is an important question, Mana. I, 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 I'm glad you asked it. And you know, while I, in my definition of ethnic studies, you know, provided the historic core of those four groups, right? It doesn't it doesn't mean we don't talk about the other groups. Um, certainly, you know the Iranian American experience is is an important story to tell in uh, a racialized society and to understand, you know, to trace back the history uh, in the United States as well is part of um, a course on general ethnic studies, right? Intro to ethnic studies. We definitely would take that up uh, as well as, you know, Ar uh, Arab Americans, right? Um, we look at the contemporary demographics as well as historic demographics of the United States as part of this work. Right. And chart where 
what histories have been hidden and which groups have been racialized in the system of white supremacy and have been marginalized in, in specific ways. And then how has that happened in relation to other groups? And so while we, while we take up those four core groups that were mentioned, we're also looking at um, the interconnections among them and then with other groups as well. And what types of activism have, have occurred and in what ways have um, other groups contributed uh, to the United States and you know, face challenges and then engage in activism to disrupt systems of racial supremacy? And, and marginalization. And through assignments, actually, the pedagogy of ethnic studies is where, uh, for instance, if you're in one of my classes, I would invite you to engage in a family um, history project and where you are learning the tools and methods of oral history interviewing, archival methodologies, and how to you know, identify the cultural assets of your own unique experience and cultural heritage. Um, in critical ways, right? To identify the community cultural wealth in students from all backgrounds, right? What are the cultural tools and assets that are part of your own family history and your identity and what makes you, you, right? And how did you get to be here, right? What, what's the history and the, the social forces that brought you here? Um, these are questions that, that are asked of all students to engage in this work of exploration and, and investigation. And so that that critical self-reflection, that self-knowledge is for everyone, right? And we use those four groups as the touchstones because it's part of the history of the field itself, but it's not the limitation, right? It's, it's the starting point. And so it's opened up um, as, as a starting point for students to then engage in that work. And if they're not part of those groups, you know, if, if, and if you're white, right? If white identifying or Anglo-European, um, dissent, certainly there's, you know, really important work to be done by learning the hidden histories of stuff you didn't get in, in high school, right? And also contemporary realities, because it's not just about history, but also exploring, hey, you know, what is your own background and heritage? And what are the ways that you walk through the world? Um, and how, how can you bring that into conversation with other students? So students talking together and sharing their stories together is one of the, the most powerful things that transpires in ethnic studies classes. In addition to you know, the, the thematic uh, topics that are, that are you know, we're talking about assimilation, immigration, migration, mobility, resistance, all those things too, right? So it's really a great opportunity. And, I, and I'm really glad you asked that question, right? It's inclusive and transformational. Right. I, I also, thank you, Mana, for that question because that question comes up often in meetings that we have with um, throughout the state where people are trying to understand, like, why, why are we prioritizing this discussion of ethnic studies? Why are we having it and why? And so, so the questions are asked as, as you have posed it, you know, what about like Arab Americans? What about, you know, these other groups that are not within ethnic groups that are not within the four dominant racialized historic groups in the United States? So, um, so it's important that we address that and that we address it in a in a factual kind of or, or at least disciplinary informed, you know, way. Um, so I really appreciate and thank you, Steve, for that context too. in terms that given that it's it's your field and your approach. Um, but I wanted to to return to the question of um, how ethnic studies can help us 
like be better. I think Alicia, you talked about it in, you said it really well, but I, I should have written that down. Um, and then also aligning that with, with this generative like spirit that I think ethnic studies provides us. And it's like a really intelligent discipline. You know, I just feel like it's super intelligent and, and I'm not, you know, I'm a letters person. I'm an English lit humanities. Those are intelligent disciplines. Yes, we all are. But, but I just think like, and maybe I'm biased because I also have, I have a minor in ethnic studies. You know, I came to understand that, um, that my subjectivity as a first generation working class Chicana uh, was important and, and relevant and also needed to be centered in the education experience. And as a matter of fact, you know, Tyrone and I go back to our UCSD days and we were both we were both students at the same time. Um, so from the student perspective, it's very validating. It's very it's like welcoming and it's but it's difficult. It, it's really, really like difficult because I think it does open up kind of those wounds. And then we have to find the way to put ourselves back together as Alicia said, to heal, you know? And so, so yes, it's not going to be this romantic, go lucky, you know, happiness all the time. You're going to get mad. Like I, I became, you know, this is where I, I sparked as a, or grew as an activist, as a student, you know, a student activist where I started, you know, organizing with Chicanos, with Blacks, with Filipinos, where I understood, you know, the indigenous, uh, you know, um, connections that I had with my Filipino brothers and sisters. And I was like, oh, okay, no wonder we sort of like connect on these lots of levels, you know? So, so it, it's, it's like, it creates this, this intelligence that, that I don't think any other discipline allows us to do that yet, you know? So, but I wanted to also um, root a little bit of that question, like ethnic studies as within an institution, for faculty, I mean, I'm I'm 23 years into a community college teaching experience, and I'm kind of in that role of like owning and centering my my identity as a faculty member and also as a mentor because I I'm mentoring a lot of um, I guess junior faculty you could say. I think as ethnic studies provides us like an opportunity to to create like new ways of organizing, new ways of um, of, of considering like, why, why do I want to develop a course in this particular way? Um, what is my, my commitment to students? What is my commitment to the community? How am I going to nurture? Just who am I as an educator? And I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, that, that like, that again, that Tyrone and I are here together, given that we have that history. I don't think it's a coincidence that my colleague, you know, Jabi, who is, a, a relatively newer hire is here in part of this process. I don't think it's a coincidence that Alicia, who's recently tenured, is leading this. You know, it's like it has to sort of the generative nature of it, like it, it's it takes time for it to be embraced. But like once we embrace it, this is this is the intelligence that we get, you know, and then this is how we move, how we move forward and, and we transform we transform a system, we transform, you know, representation of faculty leadership. I mean, that's key. And, um, and then we transform, you know, how our students are learning and seeing themselves and, and feeling included and part of, 
of this academic, you know, journey that they're on in this life journey to become, you know, important kind of critical community uh, participants. So I, I'm glad that that you've all asked those really important questions and, you know, to see ourselves too as, as agents of that. I think, you know, I, I'm totally student-centered too, but I think we also need to see that, that we as like first generation or at least um, first generation professionals and professionals of color, like I want to name that. I think that that is critical as well. And, and, and ethnic studies can also provide, you know, us that um, anchor to do that. With that, yeah. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Jabi, Steve, Alicia, Tyrone. Continued success on these efforts. You have the Safe Topics team's full support in this, and we're excited to get this one out um, in our new season. And we appreciate you being here, offering your time, your wisdom, and uh, context for something that is, you know, often misunderstood. But I think you gave great clarity here, and it's much appreciated. Thank you all. Yes. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for sharing here. Thank you. Thank you. Students and faculty engage topics. Dangerous topics need a safe space. The Safe Topics podcast is produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia handles our social media, promotion, and research. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.